0: Hey, it's Captain Roger, grace and peace to each and every one of you. Thank you for joining us here at the Salvation Army Grass Valley as we do our Sunday worship and study time. Um, glad that you could be here together with us today. Now, let's start here. I used to be an avid moviegoer, and I would like to be again, but movie times around here don't line up well with my schedule, but then, you know, well, um... Might be just as well, because there really aren't a lot of movies out or coming out that aren't sequels or remakes, are there? And it's so rare for a sequel to be any good. I mean, why do they even bother to make them, right? It's always bugged me. But I have noticed that as much as it bugs me, it rarely keeps me from going to, to see them. Which may be why they make them. I don't know. It, the truth is, though, there is a lot of power in a sequel. It, it points to the importance of the original story... And it often re-emphasizes ideas or themes that we need to be reminded of to get the most out of the first film. And one of the greatest examples of this is The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, the first Star Wars movie, it was good. But the continuing story and the revelations that come in the second film make it even greater. Once you've heard Darth Vader declare, Luke, I am your father, it gives the original movie a whole different feel and power. Which pushes us to want to get more into the characters and the settings. Which is then what led to more movies and more world building and more story that actually changed everything. And without working too hard to make the leap that I want you to make here, I think you're going to see this isn't something new with movies. It's actually something very old. Sequels bringing new light to the original story is something that happens quite a lot in scripture. Now, the story we're going to look at today, in Acts chapter 3, is very much one of those sequels. Now, will you grab either or both your Bible and our Acts journal and find your way to Acts chapter 3? Let me apologize for not warning you. I was about to dump a spoiler on you with the whole Darth Vader thing. It's only been 40 years since the movie came out. Some of you may not have seen or heard about that whole Luke, I am your father thing, right? Sorry. Sorry. Right, so, as you find Acts chapter 3, I'm going to just read to you from Luke chapter 5, starting at verse 18. Luke 5, starting at verse 18. Some men came, carrying a paralyzed man on a mat, and tried to take him into a house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. And immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he'd been lying on, and went home praising God. And everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe, and they said, We have seen remarkable things today. Now, this took place right after Luke tells us about Jesus calling his first disciples to come follow him. And before we go to Acts chapter 3, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit and read to you something from Acts chapter 14. Now, in Acts 13, which we'll get to in a few weeks as we work through the whole book of Acts, Barnabas and Paul, they begin their outreach ministry in the name of Jesus. And a big chunk of the chapter is given up to a sermon that Paul preached, which sounds very much like the one that Peter just preached in Acts chapter 2. And then in Acts 14, this occurs. Uh, I'm starting at uh, verse 8 if you're trying to follow along. In Lystra, there sat a man who was lame. He had been that way from birth and had never walked. He listened to Paul as he was speaking, and Paul looked directly at him, saw that he had faith to be healed, and called out, Stand up on your feet. At that, the man jumped up and began to walk. Right. So now you've got two stories to hold in your head. Well, we start with Acts chapter 3, right at verse 1. Acts chapter 3. It says there that one day... Silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. And then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. And when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful, and they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Hmm. Luke is building a series of ministry stories that function as sequels. So in the main story, Jesus called for people to come follow him, and then he demonstrated he's worthy of their attention by healing a man who's paralyzed. Everyone was amazed and they all praised God. Right? When his followers set out to fulfill the mission that Jesus gave them. To love and to reach out to others with that love. They began the same way Jesus had. They called a group together. They told them about Jesus. Then in the name of Jesus they healed a man who could not walk. And that everyone was amazed and praised God. Then... When Paul set out to fulfill the mission of Jesus, to love and reach out to others with that love, he began the same way that the earlier followers had, and the way that Jesus had done at the beginning as an example for all of them. He called a group together, and he told them about Jesus. Then, seeing that there was faith in Jesus, Paul healed a man who couldn't walk. And everyone was amazed, and they praised God. What does its sequels do? They expand the story and push us to want more from the characters or settings. They emphasize the important points of the original story and encourage us to expand our thinking about what was happening. Before Jesus healed that paralyzed man's body, what did he do? What is it Jesus did before he healed? Yeah, he forgave the man's sins. We come back to this idea of sin fairly regularly, but it's both simpler and deeper than most people make it out to be. We've talked about sin being kind of a a missing the mark. Instead of going towards the things of God, it's going away from them. Instead of doing the things that our inventor, creator, and very breath of life has made us to do, we work against those things. Sin is really nothing more or less than the things that we do, which are acts of rebellion against God. Now, they may not always feel like acts of rebellion. I mean, that sounds so formal and stern. Maybe they seem like such small things that it doesn't matter, like, you know, driving 57 in a 55, right? But when it comes right down to it, it's the little things that we do that make the big things easier to do. I mean, I didn't get pulled over when I was doing 57, so the next thing you know, I'm doing 60 or 65. The next thing you know, it's 72 and then 82 and then 92 in a school zone. And you've got a line of police cars in the rear view and a news chopper watching you from overhead. People make a big deal out of such little things. God says to his people, they should be holy because he is holy. It's about the relationship between us. And if we're constantly doing things that tear at the fabric of that relationship, whether they're small tears or large, they're all working to break that relationship, aren't they? So what's the thing that Jesus came to heal? What is so important that when he's in the house, where these guys have just ripped open a roof so they can get their paralyzed friend down to be seen... What's so important that Jesus leaps in and does it in response? He says, your sins are forgiven. He heals that relationship with God. For Jesus, it's all about that relationship. It's only when he starts to hear people grumbling about, well, who does he think he is, saying that sins are forgiven. Only God can restore that broken relationship. He does anything more. What's more important than healing your relationship with God? Nothing. But in this case, Jesus healed the man's body because he said, look, this is a small but visible thing to help you believe the bigger invisible thing. Hmm. Think on that for just a sec. Then in the sequels, we see those who come after Jesus, tell people about him, and then use this same kind of miracle to show people that there is truth in what they say about Jesus. Luke uses these incidences by telling their stories in the same way as sequels, so that as each new thing comes about, we can see that it's all connected. It's all part of God's plan. Jesus came to bring the message. Peter and the other apostles brought that message out to all of Israel. Paul, in his era of missionaries, brought the message out to the rest of the world, even as far as Rome. So what should the next generations after that one be doing? And then how about us? Right? We should obviously be doing the same thing. We should be sharing the story of Jesus. Looking for ways to bring healing because we want people to recognize that Jesus brings healing. What kind of healing? The kind that matters. The healing of the relationship between people and God that has been damaged by sin. Look, as soon as Peter has this man who was born unable to walk, literally dancing with joy beside him, drawing the attention of thousands who were there at the temple in Jerusalem with them, he makes sure he points them all back to that more important kind of healing. Look, Acts chapter 3, look verse 11. Verse 11. Well the man held on to Peter and John, all the people were astonished and came running to them in the place called Solomon's Colonnade. Um, for those of us in the modern world, uh, that was a section that ran around the temple complex where the crowds went through. Um, it was a great place to make announcements or speeches It would be heard by a lot of people all at once. Uh, it was also called Solomon's Porch. But it had these big columns that held up a roof to keep the sun and the rain off anyone who was there. And uh, a place with a lot of columns is called a colonnade. So there's your vocabulary word for the day. Right, I'm going to go back to the scripture. Verse 12. When Peter saw this. When Peter saw all these people coming running to see them there in the colonnade. When people, Peter saw this, he said to them. Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if it was by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. This is this is so much like Jesus, by the way. When they healed the guy, it's like they were trying to keep it quiet. Shh, no one, no one look, I'm just healing someone. It's amazing, it's a miracle, but you don't you don't need to see this. They just did it, and then they're like moving on through the temple like it's nothing. And it's because this guy hung on them and made kind of a scene out of his joy that everyone was suddenly rushing over to see what was going on. And they saw, when they, they got there, they saw the man who had always been laying on the mat outside the gate to the temple proper. They saw him up on his feet and dancing, screaming out joyful praises to God like a madman hanging on these two guys who had been followers of Jesus. So now the spectators who are here and see this, they become part of the spectacle because they are flabbergasted by the whole thing. I mean, what, who, how, uh, I, 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 what's going on? Going on? What kind of stir are these Jesus people making now? So Peter's like, whoa, whoa, hold on there. This isn't us. This is a God thing. God did it because of Jesus. Uh, no, that's not quite right. Not just Jesus. God did it because his servant, Jesus. This is God glorifying his servant. That's what they said. Now, to us, this might just say they're saying, you know, Jesus worked for God. I mean, sure, that's that's part of it. But for a first century religious Jew who's waiting expectantly for the Messiah, when you start talking about God's servant, it would bring up all kinds of ideas about the person of the suffering servant and the Messiah and how they were promised by the prophets this was a focus for people in israel in the first century it was part of the culture it was part of the fabric of their lives this waiting for the servant that god would send in the text the two roles of servant and messiah were always treated as if they were the same person but the idea that someone could be god's servant and still suffer and die was really hard to understand so the solution in the first century anyway was to interpret the servant and the messiah as different people which is what was done by some of the religious leadership, particularly the Sadducees, a sect that included the vast majority of the priests and temple workers, which I mention because it's going to be important to us as we get further into the book of Acts, specifically the next chapter. But you got it now, so you're going to hold on to that for a week or so until we get there, right? Now, let's come back to now. If God... And by now, I mean the story now, not now, now. This time traveling is difficult. Now, if God was glorifying Jesus and Jesus was his servant, then they've got to wonder, could he actually have been the one that God was sending? Peter wasn't done yet, though. He said, uh, we're still in verse 13 here. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. He's like, look, you guys handed Jesus over to Pilate, our oppressive Roman governor, right? And even Pilate said he was innocent. But you still demanded that he be killed. Isaiah said this about the servant in the prophecy that God gave him to share with the people. Isaiah said, by oppression and judgment, he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, he was punished. It's like saying this servant is going to be killed because of the misdeeds of God's people, right? And Peter says, this is Acts 3 verse 14, you disowned the Holy and Righteous One and asked that a murderer be released to you. Which is what happened, right? Pilate said, look, I'm going to let Jesus go. And then the people are like, no, 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 no. Free one of the leaders of the rebellion, this Barabbas guy. Free him instead. Kill Jesus. Uh, Peter calling <laughs> calling uh, Jesus Holy and Righteous, the Righteous One, that resonates with uh, something Isaiah said too. Isaiah called the servant the righteous one. He said, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Now, I wonder how many of the people around are starting to make this connection here. They're going to get it more because Peter's going to bring this home. But these are passages that most people knew back then. We don't dwell in scripture the way that people from the first century in this particular society did. They lived in scripture. They shared scripture together. They, they, they were steeped in it. Not so much now, unfortunately. There are connections that people would have been making as Peter spoke they would have been saying, hmm, Jesus suffered and died, and now there are all these rumors and stories about him being alive. It's impossible, of course, but could it be true? Peter's not going to wait for them to puzzle through, though. He's, he's got more for him. Verse 15, he says, You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses of this. Look, so Jesus was murdered to set a murderer free. And if that wasn't messed up enough, the person that you killed is the author of life. But then God gave new life to the life giver. And Peter's saying that he and John and the others with them, they had all seen Jesus alive. They were witnesses. Witnesses don't just see things. A true witness shares what they've seen. Peter and John saw Jesus after he was dead and he was alive. And they're telling people about it. Jesus is alive. Now, I know that sounds crazy. And it probably did to many of the people present in that crowd too. Except, while Peter is speaking, There's this guy running back and forth and jumping up and down and shouting out some hallelujahs and an amen here and there, along with other loud praises to God. It's this guy who was born with legs that couldn't support him, that could not move at his command. A guy who had spent every day of his life, from youth to adulthood to now, lying on a mat near the gateway into the temple, begging for alms so that he could live. He's dancing. In the name of Jesus, he is dancing. And Peter says, 16, by faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It's Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can all see. Now I'm going to try to get in the rest of what Peter said in fewer interruptions because it's good stuff. Look at verse 17. This is still Peter. He's still talking. Now, fellow Israelites, I know that you acted in ignorance as did your leaders, but this is how God fulfilled what he had foretold through all the prophets saying that his Messiah would suffer. See, Peter's trying to make sure this doesn't turn into some kind of blame game. Oh, it's all your fault. No, it's your fault. He's just explaining what he says they missed. The suffering servant and the Messiah, they are one and the same and they are Jesus. And now people are getting it. They're starting to get it. They're seeing the man walking and jumping. They're seeing him healed. They're hearing about Jesus resurrected and all that. They're getting the fact that God is moving. God is moving in the world around them. But what is it that they are supposed to do? Well, don't worry. Peter's got that for them. Verse 19, he goes on. He says, repent then. Repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out. So that times of refreshing may come from the Lord, and that he may send the Messiah who has been appointed for you, even Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he promised long ago through his holy prophets. Oh, so what's the point of all this? Restoration. Your sins are forgiven. They're wiped clean away. Your relationship with God is made new through the Savior that he sent. Jesus came, he suffered, he died, and he was raised up to get your attention. To reach you with the message. What message? The message that the time is coming for the kingdom of God. And God wants you in his kingdom. The problem is you're outside and you're headed away. Come back. Come back. Jesus has shown you the way into the kingdom. Just like the prophets said the Messiah would. Look at verse 22. Peter goes on. He says, look, for Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you. Anyone who does not listen to him will be completely cut off from their people. Indeed, beginning with Samuel, all the prophets who have spoken have foretold these days. And you are heirs of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers. He said to Abraham, through your offspring, all peoples on earth will be blessed. And when God raised up his servant, he sent him first to you to bless you by turning each of you from your wicked ways. So so Peter's just like, look, this is what we've been waiting for. This is what God has promised. This is the thing that all the prophets said would come. That contract you were waiting to see fulfilled, it's all come to a point here in Jesus. And to those who were there with him, Peter says, Look, God is calling you first. He wants you in his family. I'm telling you this now. You are not the first one that God called but he wants you in his family. Just like he promised through the prophets and through Jesus and through every bit of his word, he's got a place for you if you'll accept it. If you will, just like billions of others have before us, you need to only do one thing. Follow Jesus. Just say, yes, Lord. And then follow him right into the kingdom of God and learn from him what it means to live life to the fullest. That's it. In fact, you know what? Pray with me. Lord, we come before you as your children, your creation, the people of your world. No no matter which way we were heading, Help us turn towards you. Help us to walk on your path from here on. Teach us to follow Jesus and be your witnesses to those around us from now until the day when you restore everything the way you promised so long ago. Lord, we know you always keep your promises. Thank you, Father. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, we dedicate ourselves to you. Amen. Amen. Hey, whoever you are, wherever you are, whichever direction you think you're going, turn back towards God. There is a place for you in his kingdom, and he wants you there. Come back. Wherever you are, wherever you think you're going, wherever you think you're at, remember, you have nothing to fear. Because God is already there. Wherever you go, God is already there. Just go with God. Grace and peace to each and every one of you in the coming week. God bless.